Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Tuesday, June 23rd. And in the state of New Jersey, we're in phase two, and I believe also New York City is also in phase two. But welcome to the mean lowdown. Today, DebtWire Municipal's Chuck Stanley will discuss the bond sale that American Airlines brought to market. And they brought originally a $100 million deal, which was oversubscribed three times to, to a $360 million deal in a tax-exempt airport facility revenue bonds that was at a five and a half, five and a half to 5.6% yield amid the most challenging times for the airline industry in most recent memory to finance a terminal expansion at New York's JFK airport. And Maria Monte will be talking about how colleges and universities are unlikely to fall for bankruptcy anytime soon as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. But if anything, out-of-court restructurings are a far more likely outcome for some institutions uh, presenters uh, commented during a webinar that Maria listened to. And those are our stories for today we'll be discussing right now. All right. Good morning, Chuck Stanley, Washington, D.C. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you very much. Uh, how was uh, your Father's Day? Father's, Father's Day was great. I got to uh, eat some barbecue, uh, big breakfast, and most importantly, I slept in, which is the, the best <laughs> gift you can get. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm an early riser, so I'm, I haven't had those in a while, but it was nice for, for us. It was just like a simple brunch, little hike, and dinner out. So because we're in, we're in phase two, we could do some outdoor dining, but it was nice. So, but thank you for asking. All right, so let's get started. Let's talk about infrastructure, specifically airlines, which is what you cover. Now, you'll be talking about uh, at airport facility revenue bonds that American Airlines priced last week for a redevelopment project at New York's JFK International Airport. So Chuck, tell, can you tell us a little bit about these bonds and what the demand for them was like? Sure thing. So these bonds were issued to finance a renovation and expansion project at New York's JFK Airport. And that's going to be the hub of a partnership between American and British Airways. Payment of the bonds is going to come from lease payments from American for the terminal. But for me, that raises the question, right now nobody's flying, so where's the money gonna come from for these lease payments? Um, I don't know how current you are on air traffic numbers right now, but for mid-June, they were down 80% over last year's number, and that's after falling by 95% in April, which was really kind of the, the initial height of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So the people I spoke with in advance of the deal, though, they said they did expect significant demand despite the headwinds facing the airline sector. And that proved to be the case. American initially planned on issuing $100 million in bonds, but it wound up selling about $360 million, with yields right in the 55 to 5.75% range that had been expected going into the deal. Wow. So you're talking about like three times oversubscribed. Yes. Yes. Strong demand wow. for now, bonds. Yeah, but but – Chuck, that sounds a little counterintuitive given, like you said, the problems the airline sector is facing right now. Did you get any sense that as to why investors might be looking to get exposure to this sort of debt right now? 
Yes. I mean, like you said, there's a ton of questions facing the airline industry right now. The federal government has made about $50 billion available to the industry to prevent it from collapsing under the weight of the COVID crisis. And American has gotten about $5.8 billion of that. I think that's the most of any of the large airlines. But even with that support, there's really no in, end in sight to this uh, COVID crisis. There's no vaccine. There's no indication of how long it will take before passengers start to fly again. But the message I got from investors was that the importance of this terminal to American Airlines and to the uh, industry in general mitigates some of the, some of the risk related to the airlines in the short term, Americans specifically. So JFK is a crucial hub for long, long haul and international flights, and those are much more profitable than shorter flights. And this partnership with British Airways that's going to be sort of centered on the JFK terminal, that's a major part of Americans' international strategy. So what people were telling me was that even if things were to get so bad for American that it has to restructure through bankruptcy, there's going to be a long list of obligations that the airline breaks before it defaults on this JFK terminal because it's that important to its business model. Right. And like you mentioned before, out of, I think, like you said, nearly nearly $6 billion American Airlines got from the CARES Act. And I believe Air, American Airlines is the largest carrier in terms of carrying passengers, I believe, correct? American Airlines, it is? Yes, and it's, it's also more leveraged than the other major airlines, which was something that came up in a lot of my conversations. Right. Uh, people were telling me that because of that debt that's outstanding, American may be worse positioned than some of its competitors to weather this storm in the near term. But again, it seems like Purchasing these bonds isn't necessarily a vote of confidence in American Airlines specifically. It's more the value of the underlying asset. So mm -hmm. if this were a project at a smaller regional airport with less strategic significance to the industry, or if the security was a more expendable asset like a maintenance facility rather than the actual terminal, that would change the risk calculus. But in this case, even if American were to completely implode and couldn't make its lease payments, uh, the Port Authority, which uh, holds the lease for the, for the terminal from the city, could release the terminal to another airline. Right. And let's, before I go on, let's talk about numbers here. Like, you, I think American Airlines has roughly, I think you said something north of $30 billion debt outstanding, give or take, did you say, in your article? Uh, yes, that's right. And that I don't think took into account the $3.5 in new funding on capital markets that was covered in uh, DebtWire North America this week. Right. You all, and like you said, this week, it's been – I know that our sister publication, DebtWire North America, has uh, covered extensively on the corporate side. And like, like you said, this week, American Airlines has been a very busy week. I think they're looking at nearly $3.5 in a combination of bond offerings, stock offerings, things like that. So that's something that – uh, as I mentioned, our Northam, our sister publication, Deadwater Northam covers. So let's get back to the tax exempt side, Chuck. Um, I know you briefly talked about it, but let me go into a little more detail. So let me let me ask you about the buyers of these bonds, and they're not necessarily betting on the long term stability of American Airlines. It's more about, like you were saying before, the value of the terminal. Is that more or less the value proposition on these bonds? Exactly. Um, the idea seems to be that. You don't need that much of a bounce back in the, the airline industry. At least you don't need people to fly in the numbers that 
they were, say, in 2019, for this terminal at JFK to be, you know, a very valuable asset, even if something happens where American, you know, were to liquidate everything, which is probably not what you would see even in a worst case scenario, somebody is going to be able to come in and, and make these lease payments that are going to convert to payments on the bonds. Right. Okay. Uh, I got one more question on American Airlines. Tell us about the market dynamics surrounding this particular deal. Right, and and you you sort of mentioned uh, the the broader uh, move by American Airlines to try to get some liquidity going in the municipal sector. This is not something we see a ton of, where we see you know a private company issuing debt through the municipal market. Uh, but what it does offer is is you know very high yield in that tax exempt municipal space, and so. Some of the people I spoke with pointed out that there's a limited supply of that high yield tax exempt debt coming to market right now. And if you think of the other projects that you see in the high yield space, those are things like senior care, tourism backed hospitality projects. So those sectors are also being hit really hard by the COVID-19 crisis. So even if you're kind of bearish on the airlines, your other options, if you have a specific target that you need to hit for, for high yield municipal bonds in your portfolio, if you are, say, a mutual fund, this may be the safer option. Interesting. All right, Chuck, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you cover infrastructure, you cover transportation. There's another airline that's coming to market soon. And tell, can you tell us briefly about that deal for, I believe it's United Airlines? Yes, United is bringing uh, about $150 million in bond debt to market this week. And this is similar to the American Airlines deal in that it has to do with a terminal reconstruction, but it's a little bit different because it's a mix of funding for the terminal project, but also some non-terminal uh, airport facilities. And those are, I think, a, a warehouse and some other facilities related to the terminal that may have a different risk uh, profile than the American deal. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes over this week. Okay. All right, Chuck. Uh, well, thank you so much for your, your time today and your reporting and uh, stay safe out there. Welcome back to the show, Maria Monte. How are you? I'm well, how are you today? Good. How is, I believe you're in Brooklyn, phase two started yesterday in New York City. It did. Um, stage getting back to what it, or it's starting to look normal again. Mostly, it's just a lot of fireworks after 3 p.m. until about <laughs> 3 a.m. About pretty nonstop. You can go to my Twitter page. I have a recap of one night. It's pretty awesome. Mm, okay, and phase two means outdoor dining, I believe. Yes, yes, it does. Al fresco. Mm -hmm. Can't wait till the weekend. All right. Well. Hope you have a good weekend. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about um, higher sec, higher sorry, higher education uh, is one of your beats, and tell us, which I'm sure a lot of people know, what are the problems that the higher sector, higher education sector, and university related P3s, public private partnerships, must deal with. Well, to say that coronavirus has caused a lot of problems is probably the understatement of the millennium. Uh, mm -hmm. But for universities, they've had to transition to online learning effectively overnight. 
And in the fall semester, they have to deal with enrollment and recruitment issues. Some are expecting declines as high as 15 to 20%, which for some is very difficult, if not impossible, to bounce back from. The loss in tuition and other student-related revenue has forced some serious examination of operations, and schools are making some very tough decisions, and that's only the start of it. Like universities, campus-based P3s also face some similar challenges as they're off often uh, dependent on student revenue. For example, student housing P3s need students living in their facilities to make debt service payments, and students in parking their parking, excuse me, students need to be parking their cars in parking <laughs> lots to generate revenue for those operations and debt service costs as well. Yeah, say that five times fast. Uh, Park in parking lots, no, okay. <laughs> Speaking of another interesting word to pronounce, um, there's a word I'm going to say in a second, but tell us what are some of the potential remedies? What exactly is financial exigency? Is that the way you pronounce it? That's exactly right. Uh, colleges are exploring several different cost-cutting measures. Uh, some, like Chicago State University, yesterday they are cutting athletic programs. They cut mm. their baseball team yesterday. And schools are reviewing program offerings and making cuts as needed. Uh, so that means eliminating, eliminating subjects or departments, for example. Uh, and they're also suspending capital expansion projects and making changes to retirement funding. But the more meaningful cuts will come from other labor, labor negotiations. And labor is the most substantial expense for any college or university. And labor concessions are also the most difficult to obtain. Some options there include salary freezes and reductions on hiring. One option, though it's not uh, been deployed a lot, is financial exigency, which is basically quote unquote academic bankruptcy. Hmm. It allows for more aggressive cost cutting and potentially unilateral cuts, as well as termination of tenured faculty in some cases, which is pretty much the most difficult uh, labor cut you can possibly make. At the start of the pandemic, Central Washington University declared financial exigency, and a few years back, um, facing multi-million dollar cuts in state aid, the University of Alaska system did so as well. And they also faced additional expenses on resources for transitioning to online learning and the necessary support that that requires. But that's also another problem. Some are facing lawsuits as a result of transitioning on classes online during the spring 2020 semester as they responded to the pandemic. The most high profile cases are the tuition reimbursement class action lawsuits where students are alleging they weren't getting the value they paid tuition for and as a result asserting breach of contract, unjust enrichment and conversion. More than two dozen cases of that type have been filed and the cost of defending against this litigation is substantial for the institutions. There's also some breach of contract or potential for breach of contract suits from third-party vendors and food service parking and other outsourced contracts that may have been canceled as a result of coronavirus. And all of this means very obviously is the confluence of these conditions are a perfect storm that could lead to potentially missed debt service payments. Yes, and that's a concern for bondholders, definitely. Um, but academic bankruptcy, I like that phrase, financial exigency. I can't claim credit for the academic bankruptcy. Uh, I think it's a man, I think Matthew Bruckner is uh, the one who um, coined the academic bankruptcy term. So I unfortunately can't take credit for it. And definitely an, uh, an SAT word for sure. So. Indeed. <laughs> um, one last question for you, Maria. Have 
Kyle, just started addressing some of these concerns you, you, you were talking about and what operations will be like in the fall. These schools are facing so many challenges. Um, and well, start for starters, think about residence halls. If you have to develop dorms that comply with social distancing, they operate at reduced levels at 25% capacity or 50 or 70%, and that's operating at a loss. Further, more students may require financial aid, which is an ex also an additional expense to institutions. And um, even transitioning to online learning is an additional expense because they have to beef up their uh, capabilities and make sure um, they have to make they have to build up the programs themselves. And as they do that, it's going to become more costly. They've also lost funding from research funding um, and also endowments, both through investment losses and a reduction in philanthropic gift giving. And those two impacts will have a serious long-term effect with repercussions noticeable in years to come. And we're also seeing changes to academic calendars. For example, some school at some schools, uh, classes won't meet in person after Thanksgiving break. And many are still determining whether or not classes will resume in the fall as scheduled. Yeah, and what from what I read, it's like almost 50-50. Some schools have already declared easily we're not coming back others are like we're going to come back but all these rules are in place for sure so it's hard to tell what's it's going to be I'm, I'm sure let's see it's almost it's probably a little bit towards the end of june but i would say because students usually go back in, in august so mm -hmm. we'll see in, in july but one thing that was interesting in your article that i read was you mentioning about transitioning to online learning as an expense and one thing that that i read in your article which was interesting how going online there's more expenses in terms of cybersecurity because you've got all these students probably around the country or even around the world doing remote learning. But then I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about like cybersecurity because you have to secure the classes and things like that. That was sort of interesting on your, in your it is. It, um, and I think that's that cybersecurity is often overlooked in all sectors uh, or in all in all sectors, not just um, municipal sectors. Uh, we really, it's a growing problem and really uh, people, it, institutions are vulnerable at every, um, at, at a lot of focal points or at a lot of uh, different entry points. So it's something to watch for everyone, but it, the impact on uh, universities is also fairly, very, very interesting. Yes, it is definitely for sure. But Maria, thank you for reporting. Thank you for your time today. Uh, look forward to Alfresco dining this weekend and <laughs> stay safe out, and stay safe out there. All right, well, you will do. Thanks, Yang and Christian. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Bye. And that is our show for today. Thanks to Maria Monte. Thanks to Chuck Stanley, our reporters. Thanks to our producer, Christian Ayala. And as always, thanks to your listeners out there. Hope you're staying safe wherever you are. Um, signs of life out there in New York City, New Jersey, on the East Coast. Uh, but wherever you are, again, stay safe, stay informed, stay tuned to DebtWire.com for the latest on muni distressed debt. Hopefully you'll tune in again next week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.